Welcome to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter with host Brooke Benson. Over the next hour, you'll learn from experienced professionals the options you have to make smart decisions in your own divorce journey. Now, here is your host. Hi, my name is Brooke Benson. Welcome to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter. I saw a wedding planning magazine and realized people need the same kind of guide for getting unmarried. I do not advocate for divorce. In fact, I don't even get involved in the relationship issues at all. If you decide to end a relationship or your partner does, I'm here to help with sensible, practical, and often low-cost ways to prepare for the split. Only when you know what you want can you work towards your own best outcomes. And there are many professions with specialties in the area of divorce. This show is dedicated to hearing from them, compiling some of their best information, and incorporating it into my workbook by the same name. Follow Plan for Divorce on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Today, we're very fortunate to hear from two proven experts in the area of divorcing with children. Daryl Weinman is certified as a specialist in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization, and she focuses her practice exclusively on that area of the law. She is founder of Weinman & Associates, PC, based in Austin, Texas, and representing clients throughout the region. Daryl, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm glad to have you. Um, Listeners should know that Daryl and I uh, are acquainted with each other. We are in a business development group together, and I asked her to be on the show to talk about the different schedules people have for custody of children. So we know that there is a standard possession order, at least here in Texas, but there are other ways of handling visitation for children. And Daryl, I was wondering if you would give us an overview of a couple of those. So for those who are either not in Texas or not familiar with the standard possession order, Um, Standard possession in Texas is extremely detailed. It's much more detailed than any other state that I've ever seen. Um, But essentially, standard possession is about a 60-40 split of time between the parents. The visiting parent would, the the non-custodial parent would have um, the children, and it kind of depends on how far apart they live, but essentially first third and fifth weekends, so every other weekend, either Friday at six to Sunday at six or Friday when school gets out till Sunday when school uh, till Monday when school goes back and then every Thursday evening. And again, depending on how far they live from each other, it could just be Sunday. Recording in progress. I'm sorry about that. Excuse me. Thursday, six to eight or Thursday from when school gets out till Friday morning. Um, Then 30 days in the summer, every other spring break, half of every Christmas break, every other Thanksgiving break, 
Um, so that's essentially the standard possession order. And again, I keep saying depends on how far apart they live. If they live close enough where they can both pick up and drop off at the children's school, then it will be school to school exchanges, which is ideal for kids because it can be straight stressful for them to go from one parent to the other. It's a lot easier for mom to drop off at school a Thursday morning. Dad picks up from school uh, on Thursday afternoon and then returns them to school Friday morning. Um, so that is the standard possession order if they live close enough to do that. If they don't, but they still live within 100 miles of each other, then they do the Friday 6 to Sunday at 6. If they live over 100 miles from each other, then there's another order. Um, and it, these are all presumptions that this is what's in a child's best interest. But it and, and parents can agree to anything else. Courts can order anything else given different circumstances. But if they live over 100 miles, then the presumed schedule would be 42 days in the summer, um, generally one weekend a month, and the, the non-custodial parent can pick that one weekend a month, um, every spring break, and still half of Christmas break, and every other Thanksgiving. Um, it still comes out to almost a 60-40 split of time. Now, over 100 miles could be from Austin to Dallas. It could be from Austin to China. So that's going to have to be adjusted depending on how far apart these people live, how far the child has to travel, how old is the child, can the child is the child old enough to travel alone? There's a lot of questions that need to be answered for that. Um, there's a lot of states that are now leaning toward 50-50, that are not just leaning toward, some states have mandated that 50-50 possession schedules should be the norm or should be the um, the starting point. Texas has so far rejected that. Um, so we don't have a 50-50 split of time as a uh, statutory presumption, but a lot of parents still agree to do that. And that will vary on what that looks like. So if the children are old enough, sometimes they do a week on week off um, where they switch maybe Friday after school or they switch Sunday nights or Monday mornings. Um, and it's just every other week back and forth. Of course, in order to do that, the parents need to live close enough that they can exchange at the school. They can both get the kids to school easily. Um, if the children are young, sometimes we throw in a Wednesday night with the other parents so that the children don't go a full seven days without seeing the parents. We also do, particularly for younger kids, what we call a 2552 schedule, which is one parent has every Monday, Tuesday, the other has every Wednesday, Thursday, and then they alternate weekends, Friday to Monday. So we call it a 2552 because if you have Wednesday, Thursday, and then the weekend, then you have them for five days. Um, so it can be a two or five day period for each parent. Uh, and then we tend to use the standard holidays with those schedules too. And then the, then there are completely customized schedules for people who are like, uh, firefighters or hospital employees working 12 hour shifts or 24 hour shifts and are pilots or flight attendants who, you know, those schedules are very unusual, and so we, the standard possession schedule doesn't work for them, but we have lots of creative ways of addressing those, too. So I hope that, that answers your overview question. <laughs> it does, and it's amazing to me that you can keep that all straight because 
I was married to someone who has children and trying to keep track of that 522. Is that what you called it? Was, okay. Super confusing um, because I kept forgetting, um, you know, we knew we always had them Thursday, but then frequently I would get confused about, I mean, we wanted them all the time, so it wasn't a big deal, but it was just sometimes I would get caught off guard. So under the standard possession order that l- allows the uh, other parent to have the children or child for the entire, usually the entire month of July, isn't that how it's done? Well, that's the default. So the, the person who gets the time in the summer can designate their 30 days if they designate by April 1st, and then they can take it all together. They can take two weeks and two weeks. But if they don't designate, then the presumption is they have the whole month of July. And does the parent who is spending July with no children, is there a built-in mechanism for that person to see the kids during the you know during that period of time? Yes. So they the 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 custodial parent who doesn't have them for that 30-day period can first of all, they can designate a weekend in the middle of July or in the middle of whatever 30-day period the kids are gone. So basically what happens is that let's I'll go gender, you know, dad is visiting parent, but dad designates on April 1st, here's the 30 days that I want, or he doesn't designate and it becomes the month of July. Mom, then she can designate by April 15th or within 14 days, she can designate a weekend in the middle of July, but she has to go get the kids wherever they are. So if dad took them to Disney World or wherever, if she wants that weekend, she has to go where the children are. And she would get Friday at six to Sunday at six. The other thing about summers is that the Thursdays go away. So dad still gets his weekends, the first, third and fifth weekends, in addition to his 30 days in July, um, but no Thursdays. In order for mom to get an extended period too, I mean, she should get to travel. Um, She is allowed to also designate one of his first, third or fifth weekends in the off month. So say June or August, she can take away one of his weekends so that she gets basically a three week period. She can't take away Father's Day weekend, but say she takes away the first weekend of August, the kids come back at the end of July. She then has three weeks in the beginning of August. So she gets an extended time for vacation too. Okay. Good. So what happens when clients don't agree to a schedule? How, what are the procedures for kind of getting them to, you know, make a compromise? Well, so the, the family code, the standard possession schedule is the presumption. So unless there is some unusual circumstances, um, that is what a court's going to order. And so when we're negotiating, that's kind of our starting point. Um, I mean, if we are agreeing as to who's going to be the custodial and non-custodial parent, which they don't always agree to that for sure. Um, but if we know that part and we're trying to come up with a schedule, then the standard possession schedule is the starting point. The next question is how far apart are these people going to live? And is it reasonable for these kids to have to drive an hour and a half to school every, every Friday morning because dad wants overnights on Thursdays? And no, that's not reasonable. And, and honestly, it depends on the area where you live. So, you know, I've lived in Austin now almost 30 years and watched it grow from a little half a million, half a million population to now, I think it's two and a half million or something. Um, So we used to say that the parents are both going to live in the same county. They'll both live in Travis County. 
which was fine back then because you could live at one corner of the county, she could live at the other corner, and you could still get kids back and forth to school in a reasonable amount of time. And that's not true anymore. With traffic in Austin and, of course, in the, you know, most major city. Any major city, but Austin has really gotten bad. Right. That just by traffic patterns, if you're in the same county, it could still be an hour to an hour and a half at rush hour to get kids back and forth. And that's not fair to do to the kids. So even if the parent says, I don't care, I'll sit in traffic for an hour and a half. Yeah, that's not really fair to your child to have to right. do that. So we, we customize the schedule then instead. You know, if dad wants to pick them up from school on Thursdays, great. Have them home by eight o'clock though, so they don't have to do that in the morning. So we, we can come up with lots of compromises, but that standard possession schedule is really our starting point. So I know this is an, an, an annoying question, but things pop into my mind, like when library books are due or making a lunch for a kiddo, all the things that are involved in getting a kid ready for school. Can you just discuss that briefly? I know it's just a you know, just an irritating factor of life. But I also know from experience, the other parent may not be cooperating when it comes to getting the kids ready for school. So when I said the visiting parent, you know, that's an old term. And many of the judges would have slapped me on the wrist for saying it because you're both parents and you both need to act like parents. And you're not the, you know, part-time babysitter. And you're not visiting with your children. You have your parenting time and the other parent has their parenting time and they both need to act like parents. So it is expected that even if it's the technically non-custodial parent, they are supposed to do everything that the custodial parent does in the morning or on Sunday night to get the kid ready for school. Make sure that lunch is handled, whether or not that means, and and they don't have to handle it the same way. One parent maybe makes lunch and maybe the other parent just fills the lunch account. But either way, making sure that there's a plan for your kid having lunch the next day, making sure that the that the um, homework folder has been checked. If they were supposed to do some reading or some homework that's due the next day, both parents need to do that. Um, there's lots of, you know, I forgot the, the Cub Scout uniform. I forgot the cheerleading uniform. I need this science book I left at mom's house. Well, to some degree, parents need to accommodate, and especially with young children and especially when this is new, Go pick it up from the other parent, you know, be an adult, even if you don't like the other parent, communicate with them and say, hey, you know, Johnny forgot his soccer uniform. I need to come by and get it. And hopefully they will cooperate. On the other hand, there are some psychologists who will say, you know, every kid has their has their cross to bear. Every kid has their own family issues and family setup. And if you tell that child, I'm sorry that you left the library book at mom's house. I'm not getting it for you. Next time you won't forget and they'll suffer the consequences at school and next time they won't forget. And that's very hard for a parent. That was really hard for me. And of course I went through divorce also. My children were 10 and 12. And I do remember that my son forgot um, a book at home. And this wasn't necessarily even a divorce issue, but he forgot the book that he was supposed to be reading for school. They left it on the kitchen counter and got on the bus and went to school. So, okay, threw it in my car and I went over to the school and I was walking it in and the principal said, what are you doing? I said, well, my son forgot his book, so I'm bringing it. He said, you should leave it at home. Let him suffer the consequences in school. I think he was in sixth grade. And next time he won't forget. 
if you bring it over here, then you're enabling him to forget. So there are different schools of thought on that, but to some degree, the parents do have to cooperate because for something like once a week Cub Scouts or or a, maybe Cub Scouts isn't always on Friday, but they're having a special meeting this Friday. That is hard for a kid to remember. And so the parents do need to, to some degree, cooperate. And I've heard parents say, I hate that other parent so much. I don't want to cooperate. I'd rather have a whole second set. I'd rather have a second Cub Scout uniform and a second soccer uniform. Okay, if you want to do it that way, you can just make sure that your kid is not the one suffering the consequences. Right. Absolutely. And I, I, it's interesting, the story about the school, because I do think middle school is a time for kids to start taking more responsibility. I used to tell the kids, you get one hot shot per semester. So use it wisely. You know, if it's really going to be something that is a major problem, then spend your one thing that way. But other than that, you know, tough luck. Um, we're going to hear from the guy with our family wizard after your spot. But can you say a little bit about so many things that you mentioned made me think of how technology has impacted this process and things like Google Classroom, where you can get on the computer and see what your kid is supposed to be doing. Um, the email distribution lists that schools will send out and they'll put, you know, anyone on that list. Can you talk a little bit about how you've seen, cause you've been doing this for a while, how you've seen that develop and, and whether you think it's been helpful or not. So there's lots of technology has helped a lot. So um, most schools now have a way where you can log in, you can see your child's attendance, you can see their grades in, in real time. I mean, you, you know, every time a child gets a, you know, misses a quiz, it pops right up. And so both parents need to take the steps to go to the school and make sure that they are both receive login information. And I know in the years ago, when this first started, the schools were like, oh, no, we're not giving out two different logins. No, we're not doing that. Well, they are now. And I don't know if it's just because of the pandemic where really everybody needed remote access, but they can do that. And so the, the custodial parent, the one who's filling out the initial forms, they're going to get the first code. The other parent needs to take steps to go and get their own code and don't rely on the other parent. So what I see a lot is the two parents, when they were in one home, one parent just kind of handled all that stuff, just kind of did it all. And the other parent relied on them. Well, you're not together anymore and you can't rely on the one who did that. It's just not fair. So you need to go do it yourself. You need to find out how to log in to see that, how to make sure that you're on the email distribution list, show up at meet the teacher night and introduce yourself and say, we're divorced and we don't communicate all that well. So it'd be great if when something is sent out, it is sent to both of us. Um, the schools are not so great about paper stuff when they still, especially for the younger kids, put stuff in a folder and the two parents hopefully will share that information. There are, um, Apps like Our Family Wizard, um, App Close, there, there are a bunch of them. Uh, Parenting Time. And what I like about those, um, well, particularly Our Family Wizard offers four different components. And one is communication, where they can talk to each other. What ends up happening if you don't have everything in one app is sometimes they email and sometimes they text and sometimes they talk through some other chat program or sometimes they talk in person. And one conversation is in all these different 
you know, platforms and can be tampered with. It can go back and this way, if it's in one platform, all the entire conversation is documented. Nobody can go back and tamper with it. You can prove, I, t- I told her, I told her this is when the dentist appointment was and there it is. So communication is big. Another is posting documents. So not just their like social security card and their birth certificate. So they both have at least an online copy of all those type of documents, but they also can post things that they got from the school. Oh, I got a progress report. I'm posting it. Um, There's also a shared calendar. And I've seen people use Google Calendar the same way, but this way, every time you put something on the calendar, the other side is notified. So, hey, there's a school play, there's a recital, there's a soccer game, whatever. And you have that on the calendar. And then the fourth thing is sharing expenses. So uh, medical reimbursement. You paid a doctor bill, he owes you half, you post the receipt, he has 30 days to reimburse you. And then you have a nice little ledger for all of those receipts. And I, a record. I mean, yes. that's what I think is so amazing about this when I first heard about it is that it the way I understand it, it's kind of yes or no, like very factual. So there's not, well, I got tied up at work, you know, this kind of excuses. It's just a fact. Yes, this was late and it gets recorded. Right. So you have a nice little ledger. This is when I, I paid it. This is when I posted it. It still is unpaid. Because uh, you can even pay through the app. They enter their payment information and they can pay each other. So it's great. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, um, I do. You mentioned you mentioned too the predictability and how you were confused about schedule, and I think that's one of the best things about the Texas schedules is the predictability, not only for the parents but for the kids. They know, oh, today's Thursday, go to dad's, so that when a kid at school says to them, "Hey, can you come over after school today?" Go, okay, it's Thursday. I need to ask dad. You right. know, or things like that, and that's why the two five five two works better than some parents try to do this two, three schedule where one parent has Monday, Tuesday, the other one then has Wednesday, Thursday, and then it's, and and then it switches the next week. And it's so confusing for everybody. Nobody can keep track of that. And then when you add in something like, um, I want to send my kid to ballet, I want to send them to, um, uh, to karate. Well, Sign them up on your days for now. See if they like it before it interferes with the other person. So pick something that is only on Mondays or whatever your day is. But that predictability is so important for everybody, even people who are really agreeable. Just have a schedule. And if you need to change it because grandma's coming to town this weekend, then agree to change it. But having that predictability because kids, they start learning calendar in kindergarten and they know. So it, it. I think kids are better at remembering that stuff, honestly, than adults, because it's a big focus for them. And, you know, for an adult who's working and dealing with other things, sometimes it gets confusing. So again, an annoying question, but real true to life. What happens when one parent just will not participate in something that really would be the most beneficial to the kid, but they say, no, I'm not doing this, or they expect the other parent to provide all the secretarial secretarial work, and they just want to show up at the award ceremony? Well, you can't force a parent to be a good parent. You can't force them to be a good person. Uh, probably one of the reasons you're divorcing that divorcing them in the first place. <laughs> so, um, and, and as sad as this is, um, all of the times, the possession times of the children 
is a right. It is not an obligation for that parent. And so I have lots of custodial parents who come in and go, how can I make him be a good dad? And I tell them, you can't, you, you can't. And so um, hopefully they will step up. The best you can do is communicate as much as you can and let him know, hey, your kid has this recital or playing in the playoffs or they have this coming up. It would mean a lot to them if you showed up and have them show up. I get a lot of cases where, um, say, the kid has been playing soccer for a number of years. They love it. And now they're moving up to a higher level team that now is going to infringe on well, both parents' weekends. And they're going to travel or they're going to have practice on Thursday nights. And dad says, oh, no, that's my time, my time. And, and I'm not taking him. Okay, well, it's not your time. It's the kid's time. It's it's your child's time and life. have it. Yeah. And so, cause a kid can't, you can't commit to a football team, soccer team, cheer team and say, I'm only going to be there every other weekend because my dad won't take me. Right. You're not, you'll be benched. You will, or you'll be kicked off. I mean, you, the kid has to, once they make the commitment, they have to participate. And it is really unfair when one parent says, Nope, not going to agree when it's something important to the child. And then the child is forced to choose. Is it, do I really want to be on this team or this squad or whatever? Or do I want to see my dad? Because a lot of times, and I have this case right now where the dad will say, you have to choose time with me or time with this sport because I'm not taking you. And the kid will just grow to resent that over time. I mean, eventually they'll figure out that's not a normal you know, choice that most kids are having to make. Since we're on an unhappy subject and, and we are running out of time, but I would like to ask you, so if a parent, let's say, I mean, you just said you can't force someone to be a good parent. What if one of the parents can't participate in something like this? And I'm thinking specifically of like addiction issues where maybe the custodial parent really kind of is nervous about allowing the children to go with someone who has a proven, you know, abuse of substance problem? Do you, what, what happens in those cases? So again, the standard possession schedule is a presumed starting point. There are lots of reasons to deviate from it. And if one parent is struggling with addiction issues, that is definitely a reason to deviate. And, and if the parent is getting clean, I mean, they are, they're really trying, well, then maybe for a number of months, maybe a year, visitation is maybe supervised or limited. Uh, maybe that parent is going to have to prove themselves with drug tests or, even, or alcohol testing. Um, to prove I really am sober, I really am safe with this child. And then we do what's called a step up to say, okay, these are the hurdles you're going to have to jump through to prove that you are safe with this child. And when, as you hit each hurdle, you get more time, less supervision, less testing, but it goes out over time. But yeah, it, it's a, that's definitely a real issue we deal with all the time. I know here in San Antonio, there is a kid exchange, <clears throat> excuse me, a kiddo exchange location that I can't think of the name of it right now, but kind of supervised, um, you know, back and forth. Is that pretty common? Yeah, it is very common. And those places usually offer several types of services. So for somebody who is either a flight risk or they need um, on on-site supervision, those places will offer on-site supervision services. 
Um, sometimes it's offsite supervision, meaning the supervisor can go on the visit with them, but stays with them at all times. And then there's just exchange um, services where two parents, maybe there's domestic violence or for whatever reason, they really can't be in the same place at the same time. One parent drops off, leaves, child stays there 15 minutes, the other parent shows up, picks up, and it's just a supervised exchange. Um, and it's it's helpful, especially at the beginning when there's, when there's been domestic violence, when, you know, conflict is at its height, it's sometimes we need those services, maybe not forever. Um, and as things settle down or as the, the violent parent, the addictive parent, whoever is the, the problem parent um, proves that they've got things under control, uh, then that can kind of phase out. I just imagine for the parent who's stable, how terrifying that would be. I mean, just, you know, you, you, as, as the other parent of your child or children, you want that person to recover and get better for, you know, for the sake of the kids, but gosh, I mean, that would be tough to just rely on the idea that they really are trying. Yeah, it is. It's scary. And it's not even just the addiction or abuse. I mean, mental health as you know, we are in a mental health crisis now, but I mean, mental health issues have always been around and it is very scary, but there are ways again for the hurdles to say, well, you need to be working with your psychiatrist. You need to be, and not signing a full release to the other, to now your ex-spouse, um, for them to talk to your therapist or your doctor, but a limited release so that they at least can confirm attendance. Maybe they do blood tests to make sure you're actually taking your medication um, to prove that things are stable. And it depends on the age of the children too. I mean, when you're talking about babies, they can't speak up and they can't tell you what happened. And so that's a little more scary. And so maybe supervision would last for a while longer. But when you're talking about older children who can speak up and say, you know, I know that, you know, they've they've been divorced a couple of years, but I saw dad drinking. Okay, well, then at least, you know, you have a child who can call for help, can call you. Right. um, Maybe, you know, make sure they have a phone, that they know what to do in case of an emergency, that they know not to get in the car with somebody they think is under the influence. Um, Those children really should be getting that information more from a counselor than from the the parent who's going to make it look like they are just bad mouthing the other parent but to learn what to do to keep themselves safe. But yeah, I I can imagine that would be, it is terrifying to send your child off with somebody who you know is, has a history of not being safe. Right. Or self-destructive. Okay. Last question, because I know people ask me this all the time. And as you know, I'm not an attorney. I mean, I, I don't give out legal advice, but Parents ask me all the time, what is the age where my kid can decide they're not going with the other parent? And I'm asking, I, I have a lot of female clients, but I also have quite a few in the, in the lend, my lending part of what I do, a lot of clients who are male. And in one particular case, it's his ex-wife with an addiction problem. And we talked about this, but I suggested that he speak to a lawyer. Is there a hard and fast number? No, there isn't. Um, it's very fact specific. So if a child has a, um, an objective reason that they don't want to go, they are afraid or they are angry because, um, then they need to tell that to some neutral professional, you know, their counselor or to the judge, if you file for a modification, um, 
to say, I need to change the visitation schedule, or I need to put in some restrictions or limitations, or this step up hurdles or whatever, because something's going on over there. Um, but the child needs to tell some neutral professional, and that professional then needs to tell the court. Because and you, it, what I tell parents to be very careful about is, um, if they just file and say, well, I want to change visitation because my kid doesn't want to go anymore. The first thought that comes to a judge's mind is, why? What are you telling them about the other parent? How are you alienating this child from the other parent? Just because you're angry, you're hurt, don't you put that on your child? Now, that may or may not be happening. And so to protect the parent from those thoughts from the court or the allegations from the other side, the child needs to have their own objective reasons and they need to be able to articulate that to someone. Now, sometimes it's, well, you know, mom's got a new boyfriend and he's really mean to me, or he's got kids that come over and they're really mean to me and I don't want to go there anymore. Or, you know, they, they, they'll have their own objective reasons that has sure. nothing to do with the other parent, but it, the suspicion for parental alienation is the first thing to pop up. And so just to be careful that the child, it's really coming from the child. And so first thing I would do is have the child, tell the parent to have the child communicate that directly to the other parent. Hey, I, I, I don't want to come over there if your you know, new girlfriend's kids are going to be there. Now, if the kid, depending on the age of the kid and if they're willing to do that and how scared they are. Okay, if they can't do that, get them with a counselor who can maybe empower them to be able to do that. Or maybe they can bring the parent into the session so that the child can say, this is the reason I don't want to go, dad. This is why I'm scared. And maybe we can resolve it because ultimately you want both parents to be in this child's life. But if there is something that can't be resolved, then at least they're working on it and trying. Right. Okay. So much good information, Daryl, and I know how busy you are. I very much appreciate you taking the time for this today. Of course. I think what you're doing is great. Happy to support it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. So Daryl and I talked quite a bit about the child custody patterns and schedules. And next up, we have Kevin Dorsey, who is a professional liaison for Our Family Wizard. His role includes educating judges, attorneys, mediators, and other family law professionals on the online tools that can be used to benefit and monitor parental communication, um, often in high-conflict cases. Kevin travels the country attending dozens of continuing legal education conferences and seminars each year. He is based in Minnesota. Is that correct? That's correct. And your territory um, includes Texas. So that's how I encountered you. But I'm very glad to have you on the show. And um, as I mentioned, Daryl and I talked a little bit about like how schools, um, the technology they use has really improved just in the time that Daryl's been practicing law. But um, the the child exchange process that can be so fraught with conflict. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize that an app like this exists until I heard you speak at a legal conference and it really caused me to pause and think about how that would have benefited me because my children were very young when I got divorced. So first off, can you kind of give us an overview of what you think the more salient points of the app are for parents who are not in the same location? 
Sure. I'll start with more, more of an overarching description of Our Family Wizard for those of you who might be new to it. Uh, Our Family Wizard, it's an app on your phone. You can see it as a website too, but most people are using it as an app. And you use it to communicate with your co-parent. So in divorces or separations with children involved, instead of emailing or texting or doing voice calls, you do all of your communication through our app. It's highly documented, it's court admissible, and it gives you the tools you need to co-parent successfully. So a quick overview of the features, messaging. So you do all of your messaging through the app. Expenses, you can send money, you can receive money, you can document any doctor's bills, uh, unreimbursed medical, dental, uh, family information, you know, like shirt size, shoe size, blood type, immunization records, health insurance numbers for the kids, um, and then the calendar. So you were talking about exchanges. Uh, we have a calendar that's specifically designed for co-parenting. A lot of time people will say, you know, why would I use our family wizard when I've got Google calendar? You know, I've got text messaging. Um, our calendar is specifically designed for co-parenting. So it's color coded for who's picking up, who's dropping off. You can do time modifications, which keeps you out of court. You know, we're trying to empower people to get the stuff done outside of litigation. So it should save you money. Um, and then you're talking about actual like exchanges, time exchanges, parenting time exchanges. We have a feature where you can check in when you get there. So you'll oftentimes have people saying, well, I was there and they weren't, or they were late, or we never found each other. It's really tough to tell who's telling the truth in those situations. And so we have a geolocated check-in. And this kind of came out of people saying, in the past, they would go to McDonald's, they would buy a coffee, and they'd save the receipt. And that was their date and timestamp. They were there for the exchange. Now they can go in. It's like a Facebook Facebook check-in within our family wizard. Uh, you that check is in. wild. Yeah, it date and timestamps it. It drops a pin. You can attach a picture if you want. And that's your proof that you were there. Wow. Um, it's an optional feature. So you don't have to use it. You can't like track each other. You're just sharing your location for that time. But it cuts down on the questions around, well, who's telling the truth here? Maybe they couldn't find each other. Maybe one person didn't show up. But with this check-in feature, you will be able to tell that story. And you'll have a record of it. That's court yep. admissible. So, I didn't know until you said that just now. I didn't realize this This is court admissible. Yep. So our goal is to keep you out of court. Um, hopefully, these tools will keep you out of court. If you do end up back in court, you've got PDF reports for all those different features I went over. That's amazing. So, and you're bringing in reports on our letterhead. Um, nothing can be deleted or altered after it happens. So, um, you know, Brooke, let's say you and I are messaging each other. I send you a message. When you open it, it date and timestamps when you read it. And both parties see that. So that's how we distinguish ourselves from text or email is the read receipts. Wow. And I also can't delete something after it's sent. So like in my text messages, I can go through and delete certain messages. Same thing with my email. I could then give that to my attorney and say, here's the record of my texts. And you end up trying to put them side by side, see who's telling the truth. Uh, with our family wizard, you know what you're looking at. 
accurate. So again, you're saving yourself time in court, you're saving yourself on legal fees, and you're also getting to the crux of what's really happening. That is just incredible. I mean, deadbeat parents must really hate this because it is accountability that I just didn't have in 2006. I mean, there was just nothing like this other than writing things down in a spiral notebook. How did this how did this app come to be? Can you tell us a little bit about the history of it? Sure. Yeah, the spiral notebook is a perfect segue that's how it started. <laughs> Um, literally, um, the founder, well, the, the guy who came up with the idea for this, this is late nineties. So think like com era, um, you know, everything's moving into website form. And so he's handing a notebook back and forth with his co-parent. They miss a pickup on Christmas Eve, world war three breaks out between the two of them. And he thinks, all right, there's gotta be a way to get this stuff online so that we're not just handing a physical notebook back and forth that we both could have logged on and seen, okay, there was an exchange. Um, so he starts a website, ourfamilywizard.com. That's 22 years ago now. So flash. Did I read somewhere that his mom, I didn't mean to interrupt you, that his mom is a family lawyer. So the guy who came up with the idea, he brought it to a family law attorney, and then that attorney's son did it as his senior project in business. Okay, that's that's what yeah. I read exactly. Yeah. Okay, so so flash forward to today, most people are using it as a smartphone app now. It's still a website, but ninety percent of people are using it on their phone. Um, it's been used, been court ordered, and used in all fifty states, all throughout Canada, the UK. Australia, New Zealand. It's been used in over 80 countries. Wow. Um, and featured in a movie where one of the characters is checking their Our Family Wizard account during the movie. Um, we're mentioned alongside celebrities' names quite a bit. So it's people think of us as being very niche, but uh, we're definitely a part of the zeitgeist as far as co parenting goes and, um, you know, technology surrounding divorces and separations. So do you find that the end user, the mom or the dad asks for this, or is it typically the attorney introduces the topic and kind of gets them to buy in on it? Yeah, really good question. It typically comes from one of three places. So um, bottom up, you know, in as far as the chain of command goes, the parents say, hey, we should communicate through our family wizard top down, a judge court orders it and says, you know, I'm ordering you to communicate through our family wizard until you petition the court otherwise. That's typically in cases that, um, you know, required mediation hasn't worked. They've litigated it through and through. Um, and we tend to get pigeonholed into the high conflict world. I'll tell you that any divorce or separation involving children would benefit from using our family wizard. Um, I agree. Yeah. And then kind of in the middle, you've got attorneys, mediators, parenting coordinators, facilitators, custody evaluators that will also recommend it. Um, what I'll tell you is anybody can sign up. You know, we don't require proof that, you know, you've gone through mediation or you've been court ordered. But I'd say 85 percent of people on the site have agreed to it in mediation it's been stipulated to or court order. So that's the best way to get both parties on board is to have it agreed to. I would imagine so, because I can picture 
a, a personality type that would refuse to use it. So if both parents agree, I mean, that to me is kind of a no brainer. Is it a subscription where you um, pay like on a monthly basis? Tell us about how it's, how sure. you, how you interact with it money wise. Sure. Yep. It's a one year subscription. So you pay annually. It's $99 per year per parent. Wow. That's pretty We've affordable. kept it at that price for 20 two years. So that's our base price. You get pretty much all the features there. There's a step up from there where you can send money through the site that ends up being about $145 a year. Um, but yeah, base price is 99. And, you know, we were trying to be cognizant of people have spent a lot of money in these cases, you know, they've already had to pay for mediation or litigation or both. Um, so we don't want to put them out, but we also want to make sure they're investing in a good service. Right. Uh, and we we think that's a fair price. Uh, spending $100 now should save you possibly thousands, $10,000 down Absolutely. And not to mention your sanity. I mean, trying to keep track of some of these details, whether it's the actual, you know, what day do I pick the kids up? Mm -hmm. But, you know, other things like the money, I mean, that is just incredible to me. Uh, You know, I talk to people all the time who are trying to get their decrees enforced from something the other parent didn't do. And it seems like this would be a way to kind of avoid finding yourself in that situation. Would you agree with that? Definitely. If we're going to tell the story for better or for worse, uh, we're not prejudicial to either parent. We give you the tools to communicate. And, you know, you mentioned like, well, one parent might push back and the other parent might want it. That's the case a lot of the times. It also gives that parent who's struggling with organization or communication a chance to improve, um, you know, so they can say, okay, here's my chance. I've got something that's designed for the situation I'm in, and I can show the court that I'm doing my part. Um, Even if you're not good with technology, it favors you because it's a protected system. There's no way to alter things after they're sent uh, or manipulate the data, so to speak. So, um, even people that aren't good with technology will be safer. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to work in both parents' favor. How do people sign up for it? Sure. They'll go to ourfamilywizard.com. Uh, you can click sign up. Um, so so on, it, on the web, well, I mean, you can do that on mm-hmm. your phone, but it's it's a website. And then on the web, do you see that you can download the app? Yep. I think it says you know, sign up now or something. Uh, Another thing I didn't mention is the professionals have accounts as well. So if you're an attorney or parenting coordinator or therapist that's listening to this, you get a free account with us that allows you to link up to the families you're working with and you can create the reports. Um, You can even help the communication. You can monitor the communication. Really? Yeah, you don't have to. And it's free to the professional? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times what we heard was, okay, my clients are sending me blurry screenshots of text messages or emails. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be looking at. So what we did, we created free accounts for those practitioners where they can monitor the activity and see it crystal clear. They don't have to get screenshots. They can see it for themselves. The parents do have to request access or give the pro access. But uh, once that access is given, the practitioner will be able to view the accounts. That's amazing. I mean, seriously, I I just think 
this is the first thing I've heard that I feel like even, you know, even experiencing how school technology works, this to me really says the kid is the focus here. And like you said, you're not partial to one parent or the other. I mean, you're, I mean, for all intents and purposes, a machine. So neither one of the parents could say, you know, this is biased against me. I just, I have learned so much already listening to you talk. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, we tend to get really zoned in on the parents and I have to catch myself talking about the parents too much. So I'm glad you brought up being child focused. That's the goal here is stop the note from being shoved in the backpack or, you know, tell you, tell your parent this, tell your parent that, you know. Um, so the more we can get the kid out of the middle, the better. Um, we're trying to do what's in the best interest, interest of the child at the end of the day. I mean, this really says that, and I'm so impressed with this technology. Um, and it is strange to think it started with a spiral notebook. <laughs> um, I read on your LinkedIn profile that you are president of the Texas chapter of AFCC. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about what AFCC does? Sure. So AFCC, it's an international organization, and then it has local chapters. So it stands for the Association of Family and Conciliation Courts. Um, just a quick umbrella of what they do. It's multidisciplinary. So you're going to have judges, attorneys, and mental health all in one place. And to kind of segue from our last topic, it's in the best interest of the child. So it's people who get it. Um, they're not in family law as a business, you know, they are, but they, they have children as their focus. They get why we should be doing this work. Um, And so they're the thought leaders. They have national conferences, but then I'm president of the Texas chapter. So we have an annual conference this year. It is the very end of November. It's the week after Thanksgiving. It'll be in Fort Worth. Uh, We're about to announce it in the coming weeks, but it gives you a chance to go to a place where you're going to have people who are thought leaders and, you know, have child focus at the front of their brain and you can bounce ideas off of and network with. And then we'll have great speakers. We have a day and a half of continuing, continuing education with some of the best speakers you can get. Is the conference for parents or is it for professionals? It's for professionals. Yeah. Gotcha. So, um, it's typically mostly attorneys and mental health, and then we'll get judges as well. Um, and sometimes financial people as well. Uh, I've been doing more and more stuff with uh, the financial end of things uh, with collaborative divorce. Right. Collaborative divorce is kind of the way I understand it. And I would love for you to correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seems like it's fairly new to Texas that maybe it was uh, really got going in the West Coast and is kind of making its way across the country. Is that is that true or not true? Yeah, as far as the origin, I've heard different stories. I know there's some people in Minnesota that were pretty involved in the beginning, and I've heard yeah, West Coast, Florida, East Coast. Um, what I like about it is... Um, I, I think the litigation system in the U.S. is broken. Um, you know, we have people duking it out in court over their kids. They spend a ton of money about who's right. 
Um, in other countries, you have people mediating and coming to agreements and moving on with their lives. It's not this long tail litigation. So that's what I like about collaborative. Uh, it's outside of the courts and you tend to come to an agreement that everyone is favored by. Right. Um, and that's where we would fit in. You would typically at the end of a collaborative divorce agreement, put in the agreement, you know, communication is to go through our family wizard exclusively, you know, until it's agreed to otherwise. Very cool. That's great. I have a collaborative law specialist booked for the show later on this summer. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I um, I attended a presentation made by a woman named Christy Tressler. And mm-hmm. um, she's an attorney in Austin, and yep. she gave a very interesting presentation about the different roles in collaborative law. Um, and I really responded to the idea that there is a mental health person represented in that scenario. Yeah, you need a spectrum to solve these issues. Our family wizard isn't going to do it alone. A mediator isn't going to do it alone or a financial person. You need a whole toolbox to get this done. And so don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to apply multiple tools to get it done between mental health, OFW, mediation, financial. Um, There are better days ahead, but make sure to use your resources. Um, One resource we provide is we do have a fee waiver. So if you can't afford us at that $100 base price, um, keep in mind we do have a fee waiver for people who can't afford the site as well. That's terrific. Okay. So we are running out of time. Are you okay with one personal question? Sure. Do you have experience with divorce in your family? You seem very called to do this work. And I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm not in my direct family. Although, you know, I was a camp counselor and I have a lot of close friends who went through divorce. um, And I've been doing this job for almost eight years. And I think I don't know. I've just always had a heart for children and I've seen a lot of, I mean, I worked in customer support for our friendly wizard. I've taken the calls from people who are broken over this, who are in tears. And if you're out there and you're in that first few months, first year or two, and it's highly emotional, there are better days ahead. Um, Kevin, I really appreciate you sharing this information. Thank you very much for being here. And I know our listeners will benefit from hearing the amazing features of this app. I'm just, I'm selfishly, I'm sad it wasn't available when I was going through this. Yeah, Um, I hear that quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you do. So uh, to our listeners, thank you very much for listening today. Next week, be sure to tune in for information on real estate matters. I have Malia Wayman, who is a lawyer and certified divorce real estate professional on the show. And also Bob Duane, the founder of Divorce Lending Headquarters, will answer questions about how to finance the home, whether it's a refi of the marital residence or a moving on purchase loan. So until next time, I hope you have a wonderful week. This is Brooke Benson with Plan for Divorce. Thanks for tuning in to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter with host Brooke Benson. We hope today's episode has given you a new perspective on divorce and food for thought as you make some important decisions. Until we talk again, hang in there. You are not alone.